hope this thing's on. I really hope it's on. And if it is on, that means we are back from our very extended break from our your successful first year of college and my yes. second year of college. It is good to be back. And how are you? I'm doing great, Jacob. You know, it's been it's been a couple of weeks. I finally got back home, settled in. The first thing I did when I got home was set up my mic, man. I was excited to get back on the mic. Um, you know, this podcast has grown so much within short little time that's really become a enjoyment of mine. And especially almost it feels like a job of mine to, you know, keep coming back. You know, we have another great guest today, Alex Zumwalt, the director of hitting for the Kansas City Royals. Um and we just we bring on all these guests and we talk baseball. It's something I love to do. Why would I want to be here, Jacob? No, yeah, you talk about that, and we talk about it later in the show. You say you think of it kind of as a job. I mean, yes, it's kind of I mean how I feel it, but it's not really a job at the same time because we basically enjoy what we're doing here. And I don't really consider a love or devotion for something you do a job. It's it's just something you do. It's a hobby. So yeah. I, I love being here on a uh, hopefully it's going to be a weekly basis from now on as we kind of get back into things. As you said, Alex Zumwalt, we have a great interview coming up, a really knowledgeable man with the Royals. Uh, talk about stats, talk about the mental game. Don't, don't really talk about the mental game that much. So stay tuned for that. But yes. before we, we don't have much time, it was a really extended and really fun interview as well. So a lot of knowledge coming your way. We're going to talk about uh, kind of a heated debate. We talked about this on our last uh, podcast as well, about the, the mound moving back. And with that debate comes the what has been. I think we've added no-hitter total four times over since our last podcast, I believe. There have been yep. four total no-hitters thrown. John Means, Wade Miley, Spencer Turnbull, Corey Kluber have all thrown no-hitters since our last podcast, I believe. And, and it's just a- – there's six already in the whole season and we're not even halfway there yet it's it's crazy you we've never seen anything like this before this is the first time in MLB history it's amazing to see these pitchers go out and be throwing no hitters like they're nothing and there's what I think is really funny about it is there's only three consecutive teams that have been no hit twice of these six no hitters yeah only three teams have been no hit and they're all the same three teams it's 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 funny it also kind of shows you that there's a little bit of hole in the hitting on those teams as well. So when you talk about another thing we talked about earlier as well is the mound moving back, you're moving it back to give hitters time to react. But with that notion, people are saying it's because these pitchers are throwing a hundred miles an hour. You look at these no hitters, Carlos Rodon, I believe maybe Spencer Turnbull, were the only two pitchers to throw these no-hitters that hit 96, I think, 96 and above. John yeah. Means, Car- uh, Joe Musgrove, uh, Wade Miley. Wade Miley, I can't, I don't think, hit 93 or 94 in while pitching. Corey Kluber is a finesse pitcher. You're telling me it's because they're getting overpowered? No, it's because there's holes in their swings and they're trying to swing 450 feet. And that's what I've said in previous podcasts is that They do this because they think that the batter cannot see the ball. And, yes, they do throw it very hard. Moving it back, like, again, I don't agree with it, but I did say that, yes, these are happening because movement on pitches now. Yes, you could throw it as hard as you want, but the movement on pitches is what's fooling batters right now. Yes, yes. And, and like, we also talk about this with Mr. Zumbald as well. We talk about how this this kind of era has been – an era in which players are seeing the movement on pitches they never would have seen before, let alone people that have been in the game for years, even veterans that have made their way retiring are saying that they've never seen this kind of movement. Also, it's, it's, it's also an era like we, we talk about the kind of launch angle era players are swinging for the fences because they're trying to appease the fans. Yes. So it's they're kind of getting drowned by the statistics and more so not allowing themselves to play for the game instead of against the game. If you look up, I saw, I read an article about the MLB needs to decide what the direction they're going. 
because the constant changing of rules is really going to draw away from the game more than it attracts the game. Because the more and more you try and change the game, you either try and you're either confusing the fan base or you're really just not really creating an exciting game because no one really likes a game that's constantly changing in terms of how, how you expect it to be played. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, uh, working at the, uh, the Mudhead stadium, I saw the, the change in the size of the bases. Those things look humongous. Those things look absolutely huge. I think they changed it, what, seven to nine inches? I think it was seven, yeah. Yeah, those are huge. It looks like they're carrying, I don't know, like sombreros. When, whenever you see the, the player development, people come out and change the bases. You didn't even know they were bases. I thought it was like a home plate at second base. It's terrible. Yeah, it's it, just we, there's no need. I don't really see the the pro to making the bases bigger. It's just these little rules that MLB is trying to, you know, they're they see these new things and they try it out, and it's all happening with the minors. Yes, some aren't going to work out. Yes, I think this is one that's not going to work. Some are going to work out, but some aren't going to work out. It's kind of just like a testing tool. So. Again, I'm not a fan of it. I really hope they don't do this in the majors. But then again, you know, it's not my call. It's really up to them. And if they see improvement, the improvement they want to see, they're going to do it. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, we're also kind of in an an era where we really don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah. That the MLB front office is kind of filled with people that they're not really driven by – they have their own aspirations, and their aspirations are to keep the game – exciting unfortunately in order to keep the game exciting you have to listen to the fans and the fans tend to complain a lot a lot and when especially when they're on the losing side of things uh no no fan will you ever see a fan complain about the mound distance whenever they're on the winning side of things and unfortunately those those voices have been heard a lot more than the uh than not especially today's today's game um just in terms of moving the mound back, I you've heard me say it a lot. We're, I think the players are just they're they're too drowned in statistics. They're they're too mm-hmm. focused on how to hit the ball far instead of hitting the ball hard. And just doing it the right way. Yes, as Mister Zumwalt said, it's really we've we've had launch angle has been a thing for years but I don't think players are really focused on launch angle as much as they focused on it now. Yeah. So leveling out the swing, I even, uh, I even asked you, I'm going to ask you again. Do you, do you think we'll ever come close to another 200 hit season ever again? You know what, Jacob, it's just, it's hard to say right now. It's just with everything that's changing. No, it doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like we will. It, it stinks. You you want to see another Ichiro Suzuki. You want to see another yeah. Craig Biggio. You want to see another Pete Rose. But unfortunately, those players who really couldn't give two craps about hitting a ball 450 feet don't really exist anymore. Because yeah. now you're trying to breed players that can run 20 miles an hour and hit it 500 feet. That's, that's, that's who you're trying to breed. And unfortunately, when you try to breed that kind of player, you get away from really what the game is. Yep. And what the game is, is a, is a game that tries to produce runs. And when you produce runs, you don't always have to do it by hitting it over the fence. I totally agree. So it, 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 it's, a, it's a debate that will like, – like the debate we talked about earlier on in terms of changing the rules overall. It's something that we'll be talking about throughout – I mean, years. We're, we're, we'll talk about yeah. this for years because this is not going to go away soon. If it's anything, it's just going to keep happening and happening. I mean, yes, a lot of these things are going to reach the major at some point. It's going to happen, whether we like it or not. But our, we can't do anything to prevent it. But we slowly see how these are being implemented into the minor leagues. And, yeah, that's exactly what we could be seeing at the next MLB game next year or so. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm unfortunately – it's 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 unpredictable. 
you, you can't even you can't think about where the game's gonna go because you don't know where the game's gonna go. Yeah. Um, but as as we move on, just to, I wish we could talk about this more, but we 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 filled up so much time with Mr. Zumwalt that we just it, it we we want you to to have that experience of listening as and retaining the information just the way just exactly the way we did because uh, it yeah. was another amazing podcast, another amazing guest, someone that gave us uh, their invaluable time, especially someone that works in the front office of the ML, of the big guys. Yeah. Yep. Gave us his valuable time. So um, I guess, was that, is that going to do it for us? Yes. Stay tuned. You have an amazing podcast coming up with Alex Zumwalt, the director of heading for the Kansas City Royals. All right. Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you on the other side. It is amazing to be back here with another guest in town. Not really in town, but on the screen for us. Mr. Alec Zumwalt, the director of hitting for the Kansas City Royals about for three years now is what you said. Oh, ever so, since, oh okay. since you've hit the front office. Yeah, since I came, to the, I came into the front office as director of baseball operations, scouting, and player development a few years ago. So, yeah, just uh, roles have changed a little bit, but uh, really thankful to be a part of this organization. Of course, yeah. It's, course. it's been a while. Of course, we took a break for uh, final exams. Uh, we decided we had to take care, get settled back in. Ethan moved back to Chicago. Everything settled back in, and we're just we're glad to have you on. Like, thank you so much for giving us your time. We understand you're in an extremely busy schedule, especially during this kind of year. So thank you so much from me to Ethan. It means a lot. Well, I appreciate you guys being patient with me. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a problem. No problem. So I'm going to start off here, Alec, with the first question. So you are now entering your ninth season with the Royals. Before your amazing career with the organization, you were also a player. What were the skills and uh, mindset you had to go through transitioning from a ball player to, you know, your position in the front office? Uh, well, I mean, it's, um, it's that's a that's a really hard one to just kind of break down and make, make really simple. The bottom line is I was a baseball player, loved baseball my whole life. That's all I wanted to do. I uh, was blessed enough to play professionally for 10 years. Um, now this is actually my 10th year with the Royals. Um I was out of the game for a few years. I uh, was in a in a place in life where I was at a crossroad, got finished playing, and you know you're a 30 year old college freshman, uh, which is highly not uh, unadvisable <laughs> for most uh, to be trying to make that uh, change in life. But I did. I had to. I walked away um, from the game. Uh, honestly, me and my wife, and at the time our two oldest sons, we had just come back from winter ball in Puerto Rico, and just decided, you know what. I don't think the options of going and playing in Mexico or, or chasing another, uh, you know, minor league um, season was just really what was best for our family. And, and uh, we made a really difficult life decision that turned into where we're at right now. Um, didn't know then, obviously, the thousands of pieces that would be in place to, to put us where we are right now. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, some really brutal honesty uh, about where I was in my playing career. Um, and then brutal honesty about what I wanted to do after my playing career, because as a, as a high school signed player, um, you know, you're, you put all your eggs in that basket. And, you know, the reality of the game is very few guys, uh, you know, are going to get that dream to come true. But, you know, I worked really hard. I know that uh, it's, it's very cliche, but I, I did fight and claw for everything I got in the game. I, I can I can honestly say that without any any thoughts of that being sugarcoated? Um, I was a grinder. I love that. I love that uh, trait that um, was instilled in me by my dad and my grandfather. But um, yeah, I mean, worked my tail off going to school, trying to work a full time job. At the time, we had two kids. Um, you know, just and but just that realization of that. Okay, now what? You know, what what's what's next? And honestly, I was going in a completely different path, was not going to, was not trying to pursue a job in baseball, was actually pursuing a nursing degree, um, was completely just kind of like, I'm going to be dad and maybe help co coach my kids and maybe live a different lifestyle. But, um, you know, after my third year, I was working at the North Carolina Baseball Academy doing lessons. I was the assistant director. Uh, one of my biggest mentors in life was the owner and director and Scott Bankhead. And, and he, 
he taught me a lot on the business side about running an academy and uh, coaching those teams and working with players. And I loved it. I absolutely loved seeing, you know, the light come on for a 10 year old of knowing what that felt like. I hit that ball really good and, and them wanting to get better was just something that um, it, it kind of created a little fire in me. Um, and I did, I started sending my resume out after a couple of years trying to find a job in baseball. And, you know, it, it, even back then, you know, <laughs> you know, 10, 11 years ago, it wasn't, it wasn't simple. Um, and honestly, I wasn't getting a lot of uh, callbacks and uh, you know, it was really difficult for a player like me because I was a position player and a pitcher. So, you know, Jack of all trades, master of none. Uh, it's not easy to get a, you know, you're not going to hire a pitching coach that really wasn't a pitcher. He was really an outfielder. You get a hitting job. Like a guy ended up on the mound. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was interested in managing. I was interested in scouting. Um, and then, and the Royals called it, uh, Gene Watson called me and, and uh, Gene and I have known each other for a long time. He was our director of pro scouting. And he basically said, well, you know, you're in North Carolina. I said, yep. I'm central North Carolina. He goes, draw me a map of teams that are within two hours of your house. <laughs> and I did. And it was like 12 or 14 teams were right there. He goes, absolutely perfect. I, and he ended up uh, a month went by uh, originally they didn't have a job and then they did have a job. Um, I finished my school for that semester and then basically, uh, you know, I put it all in, went to spring training, had no clue what I was doing in scouting, but I was thankful to be surrounded by some really good veteran scouts. And they taught me, they taught me a lot, you know, right, right then and there. And, you know, uh, I think that was at the, at the end of it all, like that's where it all started for me was when I got into pro scouting and seeing what, you know, what, what this side of the game looks like. And it was really, it was really cool to reflect on, uh, and still also seeing players that I played with, coaches that I knew, and, and just kind of getting all that, just gaining all that knowledge from from all different sides. And, you know, at the end of the day, just I, I was I've been so lucky with the Royals of all the the guys that have really mentored me. Um, I mean, like, you know, all the way from the top, Dayton, Scott Sharp, you know, JJ Piccolo, uh, Jin Wong. Uh, I mean, Kyle Venner, our entire front office, even before I was in the front office, they they were tremendous to me in helping. Um, I just think because Dayton values scouting so much in this organization um, and Gene Watson being the director when he was with us, um, now he's with the Angels. But, uh, you know, we've had tremendous pro scouts from Art Stewart on down that, um, you know, these guys have been in the game a long time and, and they were very open with teaching a young uh guy that doesn't know anything I'm trying to and, and I wanted to learn as much as possible and I think that was a big part of of helping me get where I am right now now we'll get into the a little bit more of the mental aspect of the game but just to reach back on you talked about making the decision for you and your family to go basically get away from the game as a player did doing that really especially now when you're do you find yourself in your front office position having much more time with your family than you imagined? No, <laughs> no, uh, no, I, honestly, uh, you know, we moved here and we had to make a big transition. I wish that, you know, it was able that we're, you know, if we could spend a ton of time, it's, it's, we're like every family, you know, we're, we're trying to, my wife's balancing going to baseball practice and you know, I've got, I've got five kids now. So we have four, four boys and a little girl and our boys are all baseball players. They're all, all over the place. Um, we're going to be all over the country over the course of the summer. Um, but they've grown up. This is what they've grown up knowing. We don't, we don't live um, the normal schedule, I'll say, because we live on baseball time and we always have. <laughs> um, oldest, you know, we're obviously really little when uh, my oldest is 15 now, but he remembers a little bit, but they've grown up in the clubhouse. They've grown up around the game. They've grown up going to spring training and instruction league and um, we actually homeschooled our kids. Uh, my oldest is in high school now, but we've always homeschooled our kids just because we lived on a different schedule. Um, the years, the six years that I was doing the advanced scouting job, you know, my my schedule from March until October was hectic, really hectic because I was at I was at a major league game. Um, literally, I'd be out on the road for four straight weeks, come home for 24 hours and go back out and do it again. But when the season was over. I was home. I mean, there was stretches there where I was home and we, I wouldn't leave the house other than Sunday to go to church and go to the grocery store. And that's like, I'd come back home and not leave the house again until the following Sunday. But uh, those days, you know, we, we were able to really make the most out of it. But now with, you know, with my job, 
like I told you guys about my the experience this year with spring training being three months in Arizona, that was really hard. That was really hard on our family. But, um, you know, this is what we signed up for in working in baseball. And um, these are kind of the things a lot of people don't really always know that is going on behind the scenes. But, uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, they've grown up. Uh, my kids, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because they see the players um, in such a different light than I saw players when I was a kid, you know, to them, it's just another person. It's, a, uh, yeah, I know him. He's fine. He's a good dude. He, you know, he, but uh, you know, for, for fans, I think it's just, it'd be a different experience. Of course. Yeah. I, I, I even, I kind of caught myself by surprise learning more about, we, we have seminars here at the college where we bring in professionals uh, in just in the sports industry alone. They basically just say it's the time aspect and no one really really knows like not much time is there for personal life if you're trying to like have that successful run so uh, yeah uh, that's maybe I think I would I would definitely tell anyone who wants to work in baseball whether you know they're they're looking at getting a video intern uh, position or you know getting into scouting and whatnot like you got to understand what your time your your time is going to look like you know this is um it's it's everything you know it's it's um you know, like tonight when we've got <laughs> my son has a state playoff game and I've got, I'm going to have five games going on um, on you know, multiple iPads and everything just to try to keep up with all the teams. And you know, I'm thankful for, for the technology piece of it. But at the same time, you know, my wife knows and the kids know that every night at 6 p.m. on it's going to be <laughs> it's going to be five games of baseball that we're watching. So, yeah, I want to get into the. Based this the stat part of the game because I mean, you stats have really grown into the game. Also, it, the the era that we live in now is more of a elevate and celebrate deep swings. You're just trying to get the ball in the air. Um, and the changing of the rules around, I guess, this development is no surprise because they're trying to, I guess, create more home runs, create more runs, create more excitement in the game. Um, as I as I say that. You personally, do you feel that it's a, it's a problem that the elevate and celebrate area? Do you, do you feel that we you you could have seen this coming? Do you feel that they, we're in the lowest, I mean the highest, lowest ER, uh, lowest average? I'm sorry, I'm no, I'm lowest you. average among the league in the modern era um, for the first time of uh, for any time. So, do you feel that? just leveling out that swing is a great way to try and just change the way the game is going. Well, for the last two years that I've been in this role with the director of hitting, you know, there's, there's a few things that really um, make my skin crawl and, and frustrate me. And number one is, you know, uh, the conversation that develops around launch angle. Um, you know, because I've, I've probably been asked that question more than any question the last two years is, are you guys a launch angle team now? Are you doing launch angle? Look, launch angle, <laughs> I just, I get so frustrated about it. Their launch angle has been around since Babe Ruth's time, okay? That's just, the, it's not that, you know, okay, now we have a way to quantify it because we have the information and the data telling us what that launch angle is, but every batted ball has a launch angle. Yeah. Every single one. So, you know, I don't believe in negative launch angle. No, absolutely. I don't think that there's any any success built around hitting the ball at negative 10 degrees. Um, I do believe, though, in sharing with our hitters uh, what good launch angle is and what that good line drive, uh, you know, result looks like on the field. Um, we just don't. I, me personally and Drew, Drew Saylor is our, our hitting coordinator and Keone Durenz, our assistant. Um, and, and these guys have been phenomenal with how we, we've come together as a unit and work with our hitters and not kind of fall into the traps that are out there right now. Um, I think Don Mattingly said it the other day. I saw an, an interview. He talked about how, you know, the strikeouts and the lower batting average, like this started 15 years ago. Mm. Um, you know, I would even argue that this started when Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were on the home run race. That's where I would say this all really started. Um but, you know, for me, uh, one of my biggest um, uh, another big pet peeve is is just the guys, uh, you know, I get strikeouts. Strikeouts are a part of the game. Um, the pitching right now, I would argue that um, the stuff that guys see day in and day out, they weren't seeing that same stuff, um, you know, years and years ago. You were seeing it maybe just not every single day. You, you, the, the, there was not the level of uh, velocity and movement that we see. 
Um, but on this, on the flip side, the guys that um, I feel like I grew up watching had so much more command than you may see on a nightly basis right now. So it's, it's that give and take, you know, do you want stuff or do you want command? Um, obviously the best in the game have the combination of both um, kind of like with the, with the hitting side, you know, the, the guys that have the power and the ability to hit for average. I mean, there's a reason why they get paid more than anyone else. Um, I think that's just where, where I really get caught up in, in all of this is, you know, being a part of the team that we had here in 2015 that won the World Series, they struck out the least amount in baseball. And, and, and I believe that putting the ball in play, especially in those key situations and big games on the biggest stages, it put pressure on defense. Um, and I believe at the end of the day that that's something that can never go away from the game is that putting pressure on the opposing defense and putting pressure on the opposing pitcher because of base running and being able to steal bases is it's going to lead to wins. Um, I don't, uh, I definitely don't like, um, and I would never be able to teach, um, our hitters to, Hey, you know, we're going to go ahead and just strike out three times tonight. But if you hit that one home run, we're going to, you know, we're going to celebrate that because, um, it's like George Brett told me years ago, <laughs> like, you've got to be angry about striking out. And I think that, you know, we're just in an era right now where, you know, 15 years ago or 20, whatever it is, whenever you can, if anyone can pinpoint, I'd love to know when it is. But at some point, the, the strikeout started becoming more accepted, um, you know, and, and uh, I know that people can say that it was started because of a book or because of a movie or whatever else. But no, it, I think that at the young, at the younger stages of the game for players, it became more accepted that you can strike out and it's okay. Um, but I just, to me that, uh, you know, I, I, you hear the, the, the purists talk about that's not baseball and whatnot. And I, I think it'd be a good debate. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm all for what's good for the game. And I, and I do believe that, you know, trying to be consistent with your swing. And, and you know, if you have a, a way of quantifying it with a rap Soto unit or a track man unit that, hey, I, I'm hitting the ball really hard at 15 degrees, great. Okay, now where does that land on the field? Let's talk about where it lands on the field. Um, so I think there's, a, there's gotta be a, you know, a, a good, um, how do you wanna say, a blend of all, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I just, <laughs> teams that put pressure on opposing defenses, whether it's with the base, you know, with stealing bases or bunting or hitting or the home run, they're going to be successful. Of course. And I, I want to address this real quick before we move on. I'm a, I'm a Mets fan. So okay. <laughs> 2015, it kind of leaves a, a sour taste in my mouth. So just, just okay. wanted to address that. <laughs> I, I got nothing. I don't know what to say. <laughs> uh, they were, that was a good club. They were, yeah. It was a really good club. All right, kicking back to scouting. In 2015, Alec, you were awarded the Kansas City Royals Art Stewart Scout of the Year. Uh, this award was for his efforts in the championship season, the playoffs, and the World Series. So during scouting, what were some tools and repertoire you look for in a ball player? Uh, that's a good one. I think uh, in the most simplest terms, it always comes down to tools and makeup. Um, you know, everyone's been given a, 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 given a certain set of tools. Um, good scouts are able to evaluate those tools realistically. Um, I think really good scouts are able to, to really project those tools and, and be able to use them, um, you know, when you're talking about a comp and who this guy reminds you of and being able to relate the, what you see right now as present tools and be able to um, accurately predict what a guy's going to do in the future. Um, you know, I think that uh, ultimately, though, it all comes down that, uh, you know, the graveyards of America are filled with ball players that had the tools to make it to the big leagues. Um, but what's that factor? What is that it factor about a player that can make him become one of the 20,000? We just finally hit 20,000 major leaguers of all time. Um, what, what's the it factor that takes that person, you know, that recipe of their tools um, and obviously makeup being a part of that too, I think makeup is, is, uh, is, a, is sometimes looked over and sometimes it's actually over-evaluated. Um, so it's finding that happy ground. But when you get the, that recipe together, what's this ball player going to become? Um, there's no exact science. And I, and I know we, we have more data and information than ever before. And Dayton says it all the time that this group of players right now um, this group of amateur players is the most evaluated group of players in all, in all of the history of the game. Um, they have, we have more information prior to this draft on players than we did 
on the entire organization five years ago. I mean, it's, it's amazing how much, you know, the, these pitchers have been thrown in front of a track man for basically their entire travel ball, you know, career, if you'll call it that. I mean, I, I blew me away. My son, my 13 year old son is throwing an event last week and they've got the radar gun on him. And I'm just <laughs> I'm cringing at the thought of that. Um, but that's the, that's the, where the game is right now. They can evaluate these there. They are evaluating these scouting services and, and organizations are scouting these kids as at younger and younger ages. Um, but that's, you know, that's a whole nother subject. I just think the good scouts are the ones that can really take the tools and the makeup and nail it and understand that this is our type of player. And, and I think that's also, that's all going to be dependent on the identity of that organization. Um, you know, I, I believe that the way, uh, Dayton has set our organization in place. Lonnie Goldberg has has been here, you know, the whole way, and Lonnie's been tremendous with his staff and develop and, and developing scouts and bringing guys into the organization um, that are our type of players. You know, rarely do we get a guy um, that's outside of uh, you know how we view the identity of a ball player, what we're looking for. Um, so it's. You know, we don't get a guy uh, after the draft and go, well, we don't have, you know, we <laughs> never saw that coming. Like we're going to get Lonnie and his staff does a really good job of, of bringing in, especially with, you know, with the pitching and the hitting. It's not just one sided. I think, you know, we have a uh, Paul Gibson's our director of pitching and Paul scouted for years. Um, and he's he's tremendous with the pitching and, and knows Lonnie and, and those the, the staff has been tremendous in how we work alongside with the scouting department to try, try to bring in the players that we identify as our type of players. But, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, um, the players that, you know, tools, tools, we, I think sometimes people can kind of get drunk on tools um, because I've seen tools that don't play. Um, so it's, it's not a matter of um, that's what I do love about baseball and that we don't have a combine, you know, we, we, we're not just showcasing it all the time. They got to play the game. You know, you've got, those those uh, tremendous tools may look great on paper and man his numbers look great on on a rap soto or a track man when he's hitting what but yeah but can he play i mean that's that's i think that's you know again a testament to good scouts is they can see the guys and they can hey maybe he's not playing right now but i can see some little adjustment here or there that might help him um but yeah i, I hope i i answered that question well for you <laughs> yeah. thank you this might be an obvious question just to piggyback off of that um, do you do you also like to look at how uh, a specific player plays the game differently from other players that you may have scouted in the past? Like, do you always try to find something that stands out differently than how you may see, say, uh, Brady Singer or uh, Bobby Witt? Do you, do you like to compare or do you like to just say, no, I want to find someone that's completely different? That's a, that's actually a really good question, Jacob. I, I I struggle, really struggle when I start putting a name on on a player because – what frustrates me is I, I say, you know, uh, and I can't even go there, but like, hey, well, so-and-so, yeah, Bobby Bobby Witt's going to be like so-and-so. No, he's not. He's going to be Bobby Witt. Like, whatever Bobby Witt is going to be is Bobby Witt. Um, now, you can find players and say, hey, you know, he really, really reminds me of player, you know, so-and-so. Yeah, okay, I can see that. I can see that he's going to be that type of player. But what happens a lot of times is we say, um, you know, this guy reminds me of, you know, uh, I'll just say a guy. Um, Oh, you know, okay, this guy reminds me of Daniel Murphy. I'll go on that one. This guy reminds me of – so are you saying that just because he's a power-hitting second baseman? Or is there something in the actual skill set that makes you go, you know what, I, he reminds me, his actions remind me of that. So I think it's sometimes where we look at and go, the comparison is built based on production uh, versus the actual player. Because, you know, I promise you there's no good scout out there saying – Oh, this guy reminds me of Alex Zumwalt. If they are, they probably should say, NP, don't sign this guy. He's going to strike out too much. You know what I mean? But, like, that's where, like, I, like, good scouts can pull a name out and you'll go, wow, yeah, it does really remind me. But, rarely, you know, I've never sat at a game with someone and go, you know what, that guy's going to – that's Daryl Strawberry. Or, you know what, that's Barry Bonds. Like, <laughs> no, it's not. Daryl Strawberry was Daryl Strawberry. Barry Bonds was Barry Bonds. Nobody is going to be, you know, compared to that. So, I – I can, I can see why, and I know why we do it because you want to be able to paint that picture. And I, I never forget Dayton. One of my favorite stories about Dayton, we were in the Dominican scouting and me, him and Renee Francisco. And he said, who does that guy remind you of? And I said, who he kind of reminded me of because of the delivery, but the, the way I, the way I comp a player versus how he comped a player completely different. And I was, he put me in my place immediately and said, don't ever do that again. And I never have. 
But, um, you know, that was one of those moments where in his line of scouting, he saw comping completely different to how I see, how I saw. Um, but the guy's delivery reminded me of another player. And, you know, they, they, they weren't, the skill set wasn't the same, but the delivery was. And that's what I got hung up. That's what I gravitated to. Yeah, that's why I always wonder uh, how like, Mike Trout constantly getting compared to Mickey Mantle. Uh, DJ LeMahieu getting compared to uh, Derek Jeter. Uh, some, uh, not Derek Jeter. Uh, I'm thinking Trevor Story. Um, just I, I always wonder how the players just feel like, why are you comparing me? I'm me. So I always wonder how the players might view it. They, they probably embrace it at the time, but they're just like, I'm trying to be me. That's, I, that's why I kind of asked that question. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm a big fan of, of you, you be yourself, you know, be, be the, be, I tell our hitters all the time. One of my favorite cliches, uh, we, we need to be working to become the ultimate version of yourself. Um, you know, I just think that so many times in this game, guys have gotten themselves more in trouble than, than led to success when they start comparing themselves to someone else. Um, you know, I think it was a great conversation I had with Whit Merrifield about his journey. Um, and Whit said that is that when I stopped comparing myself to everyone else and wondering why that guy was getting called up and I wasn't, he goes, all I was doing was robbing from myself. Um, so when he stopped comparing himself to everyone else, he just put all this focus on himself. Um, he became, he became who he is today and a big part of that, you know, and a guy like him, um, you know, he, he had to absolutely grind and claw for everything he's got right now. Um, but what if he would have fallen trapped to the distraction of, well, why is that guy getting it? Well, he was drafted above me, but I'm a better hitter than if he's, if he'd fallen into that trap, Whit may not be where he's at right now. Mm. Oh, yeah. Perfectly said. Um, and just to go back on what we were talking about earlier in terms of mental health, we, we never really talk about that on on the show but at the same time it's something that's really become more apparent in the professional world altogether you saw Dak Prescott talk about it uh, in the NFL and I want to ask you I mean emotional intelligence being self-aware and mental toughness have really become a part of longevity in the game and in the professional atmosphere I have as you moved along in your career and, and as you see other players move along in your career do you kind of preach that as well to other players like you just you have to understand how tough the game's going to be mentally more than anything um and do you also see how it affects every other player like how how underrated is the mental game in in the sport uh, it, it, i would say if the people that are undervaluing the mental health side um I, I i struggle with that you know i would really struggle with that since i got to the front office and i was when i was director of baseball ops uh, Ryan Maid is our director of behavioral science and Ryan Maid has become not just a close friend, but just, I mean, the man has shared so much with me. Um, and when I was first in the office and, and learning all how player development scouting, you know, how we were doing everything and how we were really trying to bridge the gaps. Um, you know, he taught me a lot. He's taught me a lot about how we have to be more open with our players and we need to really, you know, come alongside them and his department's grown. He's now, Melissa Lambert works for him, uh, works under him. Um, and she's mostly based out of Arizona, but we spend a lot of time with, you know, all of our players, not just the hitters and not just the pitchers, but all of our players and being open with them about, Hey, look, these are, these are things we've learned in our career. Um, obviously Ryan, that's his, that's his area of expertise. And he's been tremendous. He worked with the Navy SEALs, uh, Marines. I mean, this guy's different, you know, but he, you know, played college football. So he, he gets it. Um, he's actually from the area here in, in uh, Missouri. So it's, it's uh, you know, he's got, this is his hometown team. So he's got a lot of, you know, pride in trying to help the team, but you know, him and I had a lot of conversations early on about when we were doing, um, we were, he was doing his scouting evalu evaluations for the draft and, you know, the information that he was able to obtain dur during interviews and conversations with, you know, players, at the end of the day, some of that information was, was beyond valuable. If we know what we're getting with a player, we know what this player's been through. Um, and that's just that next piece to the scouting is, is really, I mean, again, knowing, knowing who this human is that we're bringing into the organization, knowing what he's been through, know his story. Because um, one way or the other, we can use that to help him make the most of his tools and his skill set. Um, you know, with the last two years with the hitting, um, I partnered with Ryan immediately. As soon as Dayton told me I was going to be doing this role, uh, I got with Ryan immediately and said, look, man, we, the way this has got to work is 
I want our departments to work together. I want there to be a relationship between us um, that the players see and, and, and will gravitate to and ask for help. Um, because something as simple as, um, you know, just this wasn't available to players in my, my era, my generation. It was kind of like if you had, you know, you had some mental issues, you don't want to talk to anybody because it was kind of, you know, it was taboo. Um, but, you know, something as simple as like what we've talked about with our hitters is having a, a good routine and understanding, you know, what their breathing techniques and how to slow their heart rate down a little bit and all the things that go into making hitting so hard. <laughs> like I needed Ryan to help with this. And so there's been a pure openness, um, you know, from that standpoint of our departments working together. Um, and we've been able to really, I feel like, make some some huge gains with our hitters and and you know, hopefully they're just continuing to, to trust in the process. But, you know, and again, you know, like last night, you know, we have a player that loses a grandfather and, you know, those, those things are going on all the time. And are we, are we making sure that we're there to help this player go through this, you know, these circumstances um, and not just kind of brush it under the rug and say, ah, well, you know, sorry, sorry about your grandpa. But I mean, what is this, this may affect his performance um, and just being very open about that, I think, has been uh, has been a, a really a breath of fresh air for us. And just working with Ryan and Melissa, and um, you know, being open with there's a reason this game's really, really hard. Um, don't make it harder. Like if you can have, if there's areas where you can really improve between the ears, and you're, you know, obviously just knowing um, that these guys they have a life. You know, they have there's other things going on outside of baseball, and we can pour everything we can into you know the game. But at the end of the day. Uh, we need them to be healthy between the ears. Of course. Um, so we like asking all of our guys on the podcast this question. Throughout everyone's professional career, whether it be in the game, play, being as a player, coach, or as a front office position, everyone goes through failures. What is one failure that stands out to you that you used to better yourself and potentially get to your front office position today? Oh. <laughs> um. Well, I have so many failures that I can't even count if we're being honest here. Um, you know, I, uh, my experience was, was in my playing career. I think that when I got converted to a pitcher, um, that was the first time in my life that I really had to deal with. Um, I really failed, <laughs> uh, drafted out of high school, you know, chose not to go to college and sign with the Atlanta Braves. And, um, and then here just, four short years later, I'm now going to do something I didn't want to do. Like I'm that being, and I was lucky enough that I had arm strength that they even wanted me to pitch. Um, but I think that that, that was a defining moment in my life where I said, all right, I'm going to do this. I don't really want to do it, but I'm going to do it. And thankfully I had two coaches that really came alongside me and gave me number one, brutal honesty that I needed to hear. Um, and, and, and a lot of help with, uh, how to deal with it. And kind of going back on that same question, I had to deal with things that took me way longer to deal with it. If I had had a Ryan made and a Melissa Lambert, you know, on the thing of behavioral science, like, that would have helped me out a lot, but I went through a really dark time, um, a, probably a solid year where it was just like, I was playing baseball, but I really didn't like, I didn't love it. I didn't enjoy it. And that's what I like to tell people now is I had to find a way to get back to it and really enjoy it. And I, in a, a, I found a piece of me that was lost. Um, and literally I didn't survive pitching for years and get to AAA and all that stuff because I had the talent. I, I survived because I just had this uncontrollable competitiveness inside of me that I was not going uh, to give up on myself. And it, it took, it literally took a year for that to really like, it was like lighting a match in the rain, right? Every time I'd go out and pitch, I'm trying to light, light this fire in me and I couldn't do it. I just, something would happen. Um, you know, I just didn't, just didn't, didn't enjoy it. And that's why I try to tell people now, no matter what you're doing, you got to find that enjoyment factor of it. Um, you know, cause at the end of the day, I don't know who said it, but someone has said, you know, if you, <laughs> if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah, I get it. So no matter what you're doing, I think you just got to find that, um, you know, and it goes back to I, I heard this years later, but I'd wish I heard it back then. Um, I do believe I kind of lived it. But George Brett always says that two things he told himself every day when he went to the ballpark was, number one, I'm going to be the best player on the field. And number two, nobody's going to have more fun than me. Um, I definitely wasn't good at number one, but I know I was really good at number two. Uh, <laughs> 
And to me, that's one of the best compliments I've ever gotten from former teammates is just that, you know, we had fun. The teams I played on, I know we had fun. I'm not saying we had fun because of me, but that was a big part of who I was, was, you know, and I became that is that um, we're going to have fun. Like we're playing professional baseball. We're going to have fun, you know, and sometimes it got us into trouble, um, you know, because we're having too much fun that we shouldn't have been doing, whether it was you know, lighting a fire in the bullpen because it's freezing cold or, you know, um, doing a hot foot in the dugout or, you know, putting some substance on the phone for the bullpen to, for the manager to put his uh, ear on. I mean, we were going to have fun. That was just kind of that's kind of who I am. And I still believe that now I I, uh, I do believe every day I wake up and say, I'm I'm going to work harder than anyone today. No one's going to outwork me. But at the same time, I'm going to have fun doing it. Um, so I, I think that would be some of the best um, advice on that. I, I don't know if that really answers your question all the way or not, but I would, you know, this is just, you know, baseball taught me so much about failure. Um, you know, that cliche, this is a game of failure. Uh, that it's, that might be one of the most, um, absolute truths in this game. Um, you know, the, the cliche is about three for 10 and they hang a plaque, uh, you know, of you in, in Cooperstown couldn't be further than, you know, I was like, that's the truth. Like that's the bottom line of this game. And the fact that we just hit 20,000 major leaguers still baffles me. I've been sitting on that number for so long. And, and uh, I mean, just, that's one of those, uh, again, if the, if it was that easy, that number would be, you know, 200,000. Um, the fact that it's just 20 really like wrap your head around that, you know, wrap your head about how many kids just graduated from college um, you know, at any college and think about that because most likely in four years, that's 20,000, right? That's going to be that number. So um, I think it's incredibly special. Um, and I tell our hitters this all the time, you know, when they get to the big leagues, you better know what number you are. Uh, it was, it was really con a good conversation I had with one of our players recently. It's like, you know, I brought that up and he goes, I had no clue. And I go, <laughs> you are in, in a very select group of people that have ever walked the planet. You better know what number you are. And so it's our little joke. I mean, you are number 19,009, blah, blah, blah. So, you know. <laughs> no, that, uh, I mean, you, you don't know if you answered that question. I think you answered that question. That was that was really inspirational. You said you don't know who quoted you. Yeah. got to love what you do. But I think we'll, we'll put a quote around that and just Alex Zumwalt. That, that, I my, my quotes are much, uh, much more bland and cliche. Drew Saylor and Keona get sick of hearing me, but uh, I like, I like, I do like quotes. I really, I actually have several that I keep up my sleeve that from, I, I believe in quotes because most of the people that have those quotes were, were really smart people. Uh, <laughs> I'm not one of those people. My merit, so, but yeah, I do. I, I think that's it at the end of the day, you know, uh, George, um, I wish I'd heard what George said when I was a player. I think that would have really impacted me um, because I fell into the pitfalls that Whit Merrifield talked about. I, I felt I, that robbed myself of a lot of, um, a lot of probably, you know, opportunities at the end of the day, I got really caught up and in, in, in compared. That's one thing as a dad. Um, I'm really trying with my own sons, uh, but what's hard on that end is that they're constantly being compared because of what I do. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things you got to try to separate as best you can. Of course. And um, I'll keep this last question short and simple, short and simple. So we can uh, move on to the, the fun part of this interview. Um, just plain and simple. Do you think in this stat cast era, this use of statistics, the, just basically everything altogether. Do you think that we are over quantifying the game? At times, yes. But at times, no, because I love the information. I absolutely eat it up. Um, you know, I spend every morning, I'm going over our game reports from the night before, and I cannot get enough information. Now, you know, our hitting coaches are putting in, you know, a ton of information about the at-bats. Um, and our analytics department has been able to take the information we're getting from the games and print out basically not even print it's all digital but I, I can look at the players at bats and I can look at pitch by pitch the sequence and like for me I can't get enough because what we're trying to do with our hitters is be very open with them about their information and understand so that we're you know I just want to debunk the lies I want to make sure that we're giving them 100% truth so um, to be honest with you, watching a game and they have, if they're posting exit velocity and launch angle, great. If that's great, if that 
helps build our fan base, I'm all for it. I really am. Um, the in-game strategy, um, you know, doing the advanced scout job for the years that I did it, I, I, I love the strategy side of the game. I am firmly embedded in the, in the chess match that happens every single night. And I think it's one of the most beautiful things in all of sports is how a game is managed um, when it's done right. Um, so, you know, to give your manager, uh, you know, 12 pages of, of paperwork before a game, um, how is he going to be able to digest all that? I think that's that's kind of the part of this that just fascinates me because the, the human brain working in game with a strategy, trying to keep all the information that you had prior to the game, managing it on the moment. I, you know, it, it's it, it again, um, you know, like I, I think back to um, our third base coaches. Sorry, guys, this is my daughter, Kaya. Hey, so, <laughs> hello. So, you know, how how a third base coach has to know all of the information about outfield arms and know about positioning and everything else. Oh, and by the way, directing traffic, like mm -hmm. he, he's got to be able to have enough information to make those really tough decisions. But at the same time, it's like, okay, if you believe that this much is really important, okay, we got to find a way to get it down to here so that he can retain it, use it in game because he can't pull out. You know, I don't think that that's one of those things that people we haven't gotten there yet. But, you know, it's, it's like the, the wristbands, um, you know, with calling pitches and whatnot. Third base coach, he can't be out there with an iPad. And under, he has to know what he can retain. He's in the dugout. And that's why yeah, I, I give, you know, Vance Wilson and, and Mike Jersey, the two guys that I've been able to work with the most. I, like These guys are incredible with what they are able to do um, day in and day out with the information. But, yeah, I think, again, I love the information, but I can see where, you know, sometimes people kind of uh, – there's one of my cliches, like keep the main thing the main thing. I think that, you know, that's where, where I take it with, with uh, the use of all the information. All right. All right. And um, to move on, Ethan, it's, it's been a while. You might have to give me a refresher as to uh, what, what we're about to do. It, it's I see, I hear it in my head, but you, you got to remind me. Yeah, I can remind you because designated chatter is finally back. And it can only be one thing, Jacob, it's time for the pickle. It is time for the pickle. Mr. Zumwalt, the pickle, we, we're going to fire you some rapid-fire questions. There'll be some very difficult questions in there for you. This is not going to be an easy go of it. Some will take you by surprise, and some will just make you think. And um, we got 10 questions for you. I might sneak in one. Just because I, I don't know where you're going to go. You're trying to sneak in a Mets Royals question. No, 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 no. I, I won't, I won't go there. I won't go there. I won't go. There. I don't, I really have no right to go there. You guys, you guys want it fair, fair and square. I told you I'm going to have fun. We're going to have fun. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Let's get right down to it. You ready? Absolutely. Fire away. All right. Number one, your favorite ballpark snack. Oof. Um, oof. Kettle corn. Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Milwaukee's kettle corn off the chart. Okay, 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 okay. Um, who was your favorite MLB player growing up? Ryan Sandberg, Chicago Cubs. He was uh, my, yeah. my oldest son. His first name is Ryan San is Ryan, not Sandberg, but Ryan. And uh, absolutely, um, no doubt, Dad. My dad. I grew up in Northwest Arizona. We would go to spring training every year, and that was the, my favorite memories as a kid is getting to go see Ryan Sandberg in spring training. That's, a, that's awesome. a really good name. Really good name. Number three, favorite MLB team growing up? Cubs. I hate to admit it, but I was – again, look, hey, I grew up – we had eight channels, okay? And WGN happened to be one of them. So, there you go. <laughs> and you know what? Let me let me tell you something, Alex. Our last podcast was with the CEO of the Toledo Mudhens. Uh -huh. He was a big Mets fan. I understand oh, the satisfaction He let me have this. So, it's yeah. nice for Jacob to get it right back to him. Oh, yeah. Really funny. It's really funny. I understand. Okay. Number four, moving on. No, you go on. You, you got me, Ethan. Okay. Number four, who is the GOAT of the MLB? Who is greatest of all time? Right there. I said, who is the greatest of all time of the MLB? Oh, oh, oof, oof. Greatest of all time. Oh, my gosh. I, I No matter what I say here, I'm going to be wrong. Um, I mean – I, I just got to go. The guy was the greatest player that ever played the game. Uh, got to go Henry Aaron. 
That's I don't I, you can't really go wrong with that. You can't really go wrong with that. The longevity, the numbers, they speak for themselves. The teammate, what he went through off the field. I I, I got to go, Henry Aaron. Of course, I think it's okay. Bobby Bonilla. What? No, I think I said Bobby Bonilla. That's a joke. Oh, um, coming up. <laughs> <laughs> Number five, greatest of all time. If you had to pick MLB dynasty slash franchise, if you had to pick a time era, you you could do that as well. You got to look at Yogi Bear's Yankees. There's no other way. I, I can't even argue it. All right. All right. I, yeah, I totally agree. Um, number six, favorite baseball movie or flick? Field of Dreams. It gets me every time. I Last summer, got to go up there. It was unbelievable. My son was playing in an event up there, and we got to go, and it was one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life. Is it? Is it it's worth the trip? Oh, absolutely. Can't wait to see how this game goes this summer with uh, with them playing there. It was in last summer. They were obviously supposed to and uh, the field was there and everything else got to have catch with my oldest son. The corn was kind of tall, so got to mimic it a little bit. I cried like a baby. It was pretty cool. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have a feeling I know your answer what, what it's going to be for this for this question. Favorite ballpark. What's it? Sorry about that. Your favorite ballpark. Favorite ballpark? Ah, Kauffman Stadium. I got to say Kauffman Stadium. No. Okay, okay. I thought you were going to go Wrigley Field. I thought you were going to go Wrigley No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. Of that course. One of the worst places to scout. <laughs> okay, okay. All right, number eight. What is the most underrated statistic? Oh, um, underrated statistic. Oh, my gosh. That's going to be a tough one. Ah. Uh, I'm actually going to go doubles. Doubles. Okay. Doubles. I don't think we value the double enough. Okay. Okay. Number nine. Do you prefer the steroid era or the modern day era we're in right now? Hmm. Um, well, the steroid era technically didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's true. I, I guess, I guess in terms of, labels like the the 80s and 90s the more exciting time of the game the 80s 90s 2010s 2020 in between yeah i i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna have to go with the, the, what to me was some of the most fun i've ever seen in baseball was between i'm gonna say you know the last 10 10 years honestly i just think uh you know we get caught up in the in the big group of it but the teams that have been successful over the last 10 years played some exciting baseball you know, I think that, uh, I mean, you could go down the list. I think, and there's some teams in there, too, that didn't win that were really exciting to watch. Um, I think, you know, the Detroit Tigers teams, we don't we don't talk about the Detroit Tigers enough when, you know, when you were talking about 10 years ago and the Texas Rangers teams that they had, you know, 10, 10 12 years ago. There's some exciting teams that oh. didn't win. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, number 10. This is going to sound like a silly one, but it's been a big debate here in the world lately, so – do you think a hot dog is considered a sandwich? Absolutely not. Oh, yeah, hot dog, okay, hot dog. Okay, okay. Hot dog's a hot dog. Oh no, no, no. Hot dog's a hot dog. How about your daughter? What does your daughter think? She think it's a sandwich? You think a dog is a sandwich or a hot dog? Hot dog. Hot dog. Yeah. That's right. That's right. She's in the right mind. Right. right. Yeah. So my wife's from Chicago, so of course, like hot dog is, you know, it's kind of a big deal. Oh yeah, Chicago style hot dogs all the way, all the way. You just want to diss on the New York stand style Coney Island hot dogs. That That's fine. That's fine. I mean, I, I'll just say this. Whenever I'd go to City Field, I didn't, I didn't have an urge to get a hot dog. Uh, oh, yeah. But also, great ballpark food at City Field, though. Shake Shack. Have you, have you had Shake Shack? Okay. Babe, not last time I was there. No, it's been a few years. I, I think it's, I think, I don't think it's national. Houston has a Shake Shack. I know that. Okay, never mind. I, I thought that was an East Coast kind of thing. I'm gonna uh, sneak. I'm gonna sneak this last one in. This is not Mets Royals. <laughs> just, just the KC area. What is the? I I've had barbecue there. I I, I went on a, a college tour there a couple of years ago. What is the place to go to for? Or I, in terms of cuisine, what is your favorite place to go to? Well, if you're in Kansas City, you got to go to KC Joe's, the original. Casey Joe's. It's in I a think gas. That's where I went. Uh, that and Elsie's. If uh, those are the two absolutes, I know that Elsie's and they both have been on Food Network shows and all that stuff. But Elsie's, the best ribs I've ever had in my life, and uh, and uh, Casey Joe's, the Z-Man sandwich is phenomenal. Yes, I, 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 that that popped the memory yep. in my head. All right. 
All right. So I don't like, I still, I'm still learning. I I get lost (laughs) going to my kids' games all the time. So thank, thank goodness for uh, Google Maps. Of course, of course. All right. That'll take us to the end of the pickle and take us to the end of the show here. Mr. Zumwalt, I have had a great time. Uh, I hope you had a, we, we both hope you had a great time. Maybe yes. Had that fun. Um, and yeah, that'll, that'll do it for us. Uh, it's, it, it's great to be back into it. Uh, we hope that the rest of the season gives you great luck and success. Obviously, I mean, the Royals right out of the gate were amazing. Run to a couple roadblocks, but defying the odds is all you can do. It's a long season, guys. It's a long season, but I really appreciate you having patience with me about getting on here, and, and I had a blast. And if you ever need anything again, just feel free to reach out. Of course, of course. Amazing. So designated, chan- or designated chatter fans out there, make sure to follow us on all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. You can listen to our podcast on Spotify and Apple Music. Something to take away from this podcast today is life's going to beat you down. The people who succeed are the ones that stand back up. Alec, I could say you're the ones that stand back up being, you know, Art Stewart Scout of the Year. And, of course, your position as director hitting in the front office. Definitely a role model in the game, and we want to thank you for that. I really appreciate that. It means a lot. Thank you. Until next time, good night, and we'll see you back on the podcast. A wonderful day.